0: Morning, everyone. Good morning. I love worshiping with you guys. Amazing. I'll tell you, you. yeah, a lot of energy. And uh and you sang like you believe it. That was the beautiful part. And that's why we gathered together this morning. If you're visiting today, welcome to Portico. Our vision statement is one church, one message, many expressions. We have a Mississauga campus, we have a Milton campus, and then we have venues that link in by way of video camera. Welcome those of you in our video cafe this morning. It is great to have you here. Well, ushers, could you help me out this morning? We're going to hand out some Bibles. If you need to borrow a Bible today uh, as we go through, just hold your hand up. And we're going to get one. You can borrow this for while you're here in the service with us. Leave it on the chair when you leave this morning, and we'll take care of it. It's just a way for you to be able to follow along. We want you to be able to see right out of God's Word what we're going to be speaking about and how it applies to your life. We're in a little series right now that's called Simple Christmas, and we've been looking at sort of the basic elements of Christmas, stripping away the flash, the noise, the commercialism, the busyness, trying to get to the core message of Christmas again. And uh, we're just so delighted you've been with us through the series. Hey, by the way, it's good to see you. Uh, some of you I missed over the last couple of Sundays. I don't know, an ice storm, a little, you know what, hey, we're in Ontario. We can handle that, can't we? Alright, the two of us. We're in. Actually, we had, you know, we had a good response. We had good attendance and it's good to see everybody out again this morning. And we're quickly winding up 2013. I cannot believe it's, it's almost, to me, it's almost inconceivable how quickly 2013 has gone by. Anybody else feel that way? It's like, I cannot believe. I, in my office, I was given a gift last year. Uh, somebody purchased for me a calendar and every month it features this beautiful picture of a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. They know I have a little weakness there, and so every month I would turn and I'd look at this calendar, and this week when I turned around and I looked over beside my desk where I was doing my study, it's on the last picture. And I realized, I felt a little tear well up in the corner of my eye, because I realized, I'm not gonna get to look at those pictures anymore. I could, but I mean the dates would be all off. And I realized uh, my, my bikes are gone. And I go, I'm probably going to have to put up one. You know, you get those flowers and trees and all that kind of stuff. Eh. Anyhow, we'll try to find another one. I'll get it replaced. But I was just thinking how quickly this year has gone by. Now, what I love about the Christmas season, and I hope. Did you have a good Christmas? Yes. You did? Excellent. We did. We had a, ours is a little more low-key. We, we got together with a lot of friends and family and a little bit of low-key. I did something really special this year. You knew I would, right? Oh, I had more hope in that moment right there. You knew I would. So what we do, you know, we, we try to buy... We don't spend a lot on each other at Christmas. We try to buy meaningful gifts. And I was trying to think, you know, what do I do this year for Laura? And so this past uh, month, you heard Laura had gone back to visit her family. And what I did is I got, we used to have an 8 millimeter video camera. That's pre-iPod, pre-iPhone, pre, remember that? You'd have the little tapes in there. Well, we had one of those, and we had a bunch of tapes, and the camera broke. So I never had a chance to ever get any of those that footage dumped over. And we sort of forgot. We knew we had some of our Christmases and family stories on there. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do for Christmas this year. So I planned ahead and I gave all those tapes in and I found a company that would convert them all. And what I wanted to do is try to get them uh, converted to digital copies and then give Laura a copy of the Christmas, some of the Christmas stories that we had had together, our, our family Christmases. And unfortunately, the backlog of the material they were running through, it didn't get them in time for me to do my creative part, but I did get the digital copies. So Christmas Eve, after we sent you all home and said, okay, go home now, and we finished our four candlelight services, and I was going to go home and deflate a little bit, our kids came over, we had a little bit of Christmas Eve together, sent them off to bed, and then I said, hey, Laura, I have something that I was going to put in your stocking, but I couldn't get it onto a hard copy for you. I want you to see this. So she just faithfully follows me. She'll follow me anywhere. So she follows me down to the basement. And I got up to the computer, and she goes, well, what are you going to show me? Thinking, you know, I found another good YouTube thing or something I could show her. And I said, no, I just got a little something I want to show you. And I brought up some of our family Christmas, uh, past Christmases from like 1991 and 92. And she was like, oh, oh, I won. I won. You know, I'm like the best husband ever. And so here we are. It's... It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're still watching this stuff, thinking, what are we doing? Let's go to bed. But it was such a great experience, and so we had a wonderful time celebrating Christmas. And and if you're visiting today, I trust that you're having a great time with family and friends. Well, I want you to go to Luke chapter 2, because we are going to wrap up our series, Simple Christmas. And I want to talk to you about live well, living well, how to live our lives uh, in a way that is pleasing to God, but intentional with purpose behind it. And I'm going to take a a text, a story that maybe you wouldn't normally associate here and connect it over. Now while you're turning there, uh, this is also the famous week around our media and our news coverage when we get the highlight reels. If you're watching TV, you're watching a newspaper, it's the best of right now, the best of 2013, the worst of 2013. What shouldn't have happened, what should have happened. And I get a little bit tired by the time we get to the end of the week because it's all out there. In fact, I googled You know, I'd heard so much this week. I don't know if you listen to a lot of those reports, but I'd heard so much. I get so many emails coming in. So I just actually thought, I'm going to Google 2013 in review. Those words, 2013 in review. That's all I did. 0.22 seconds, I had 4 billion hits. That many hits of that many different types of reports. Sports highlights, news highlights, tragedies, successes, victories, you name it. We love to reminisce. We're statistic type of people. We love to have that type of information. So it's a week where we're looking back and we're reviewing. It's also a week where we make New Year's resolutions. Ah, some of you are a little reluctant to state that. Did you break last year's resolutions? Yeah, by January the 2nd? Okay. It's also the week of New Year's resolutions. So just as a little bit of fun, I thought, well, why don't we look at some of the New Year's resolutions? So again, I love Google. It helps me out. So I went to Google, and I thought, well, what are people going to resolve for 2014? Not last year. What are they determining to do this year? So this comes out of the University of Scranton, their cl- clinical psychology department. They did a, a survey in early December to find out what are people resolving to do differently in 2014. Here they are. Now, if you're doing your resolutions, maybe you've got these. Let's find out. The number one resolution, lose weight. Okay, everybody, eyes forward. Okay, don't look at who had too much turkey this year. Just keep looking at me. Number one, lose weight. Number two, spend less. Always, right after Christmas, isn't it? Number three, I'm going to enjoy life to the fullest. Number four, I'm going to stay fit. Number five, I'm going to learn something exciting. Number six, I'm going to quit smoking. And number seven, I'm going to spend more time with my family and friends. Not bad resolutions, are they? So then I thought, well, what resolutions did we make in 2013 that we broke? So I found that. 2013, top resolutions that we broke. Lose weight. Get out of debt. Be less stressed. Eat healthier. Learn something new. Quit smoking. Spend time with family and friends. The top ones that we resolved for 2000, we've already broken them. Why do we do this? And yet we do it. I think there's an underlying principle why we do this. Deep within us is a desire to live our lives well. We really want our lives to count. When we finish our time on this earth, or even as we put our time in, whether it's in our job, or our careers, our family, or our leadership, whatever it is, we want our lives to matter. Matter to other people, matter to us. And so when we measure our lives, we want to be sure that we're living well. That's why we do resolutions, or at least some people do. And if you're a statistics person, you would like this. Of all of those people that do make resolutions, did you know that only 8% will actually follow through on them? So if you were debating, you might want to bail now. So just a little free advice. But I really believe we all want to live well. And these are those moments where we get to pause. And so as we're going through Simple Christmas, one of the things that we've been talking about, we've looked at ways of celebrating Christmas, but I also want to look at a way of taking the Christmas story, projecting into the new year, and finding out, is there a way for us to live differently So that at the end of 2014, 2015 and 2016, as the Lord would tarry, we could actually stop and say, you know, I lived well. And my life is exactly where it should be. So that's what I want us to explore together today. So I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to go to Luke chapter tw- uh, chapter 2, and we're going to go down to verse 25. I'm going to pick up on a story that happened at the temple. It begins with a man named Simeon, and then I want you to notice as we shift to a woman by the name of Anna, what takes place here. So if your Bibles are open, we're going to go to verse 25 and follow as I read. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel... And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thought of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now I want you to pick up on this next person who walks into the narrative. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. You know, here in this Christmas narrative... We have a story of this elderly woman by the name of Anna, and her story often is overshadowed by all the other Christmas narratives. I mean, who can compete with the shepherds and the wise men, and you have these dignitaries coming in, and you got Herod with his whole exploits that are taking place. And even Simeon on the Temple Mount, and his prophecy and what he prays and his prayer to God, just overshadows this elderly woman. But when I read the story of Anna... I just saw something that was in a new reflection for my own life. And I began to realize, here is a woman that God brought into the Christmas story, and she has a great deal to teach us about how to live our lives well. And I find it in the way, both in the manner in which she's available to see what God is doing in the moment, but also in the way and the manner in which she lived her life. And that's what I want to focus on. We know from Luke, Luke tells us very specifically, she'd been married for seven years, her husband died, and then after that, uh, she's a widow till 84. She devotes herself to the Lord. She's worshiping day and night. She's fasting and praying. And here's something very, very interesting. We read it, but I don't know if you picked up on it. It says that she was a, a prophetess. Now, we read the scriptures, and if you're new to the Bible, maybe this wouldn't mean as much to you. You're just learning about this. But a lot of us, if we're familiar with the scripture. We read words like that, and they don't register to the significance of the moment. But remember, the story happens following 400 years of silence. So here you have a period of time in which the voice of God has fallen silent. And there has been no voice of the prophets speaking. And suddenly, God fulfills His promise of the Messiah to come. And God raises up a woman to be a prophetess. Ladies, talk about equal rights. God cares. He brings us all into the picture on this thing. So as soon as I read that, I went, this is a significant part of the story that we need to spend just a little bit of time on today as we look at our own lives. Because if God raised her up and used her voice to be a voice that would be a prophetic voice to the people that would come after her, then she's got something to teach me, she's got something to teach you today. So as it comes to living well, if you want to take your notes out, they'll be in the bulletin, you can just write a few thoughts down. But I want to share with you two aspects of Anna's life that will help us to live our lives well. And they're real simple. I want to talk to you about her primary motivation in life, and then I'm going to talk to you about her priorities. And in fact, when you think about your life, if you really take the sum of everything you do, you can bring it all back and measure it down to whether or not there's value in it around your motivation, what your primary motivation is, and what your core priorities are. And if your motivation is right and your priorities are right, I'll guarantee you you'll live the kind of life you want to live. But when those things are askew, then the life that we desire to live, we often miss. So let's go to Anna's primary motivation. Let me talk about that first. I want you to go back and just take a moment and look at Luke chapter 2, verse 38. Here's what it read. We read together. It said, Coming up to them. So that's Anna going up to Simeon, Mary, and Joseph, and the baby Jesus. She says, Coming up to them. She gave thanks to God, and then she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That little phrase, the looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, spoke to me. Because it reveals to me the motivation of this woman's heart. She was caught up in the promise of the Messiah. See, what motivated her life... Wasn't all the other activities, wasn't the things she can get involved in, wasn't even her marriage or the opportunity to get remarried. What her primary motivation was, we see Luke bring it right out of the text for us here. She was caught up living in the awareness that God had promised a Messiah would come, and her day was consumed living that way. For 400 years, there's been silence in the land, yet for Anna, she's been living her life as if the voice of God had spoken that promise just yesterday. It's as if she could hear as clearly today as if God had given her the promise yesterday that hold on to my promise. Live your life in light of the coming of the Messiah. Now we know from Scripture, and we also know from history, that a great deal of those in Israel at that time had lost the focus. We read about the longing of the hearts of the people of Israel. We read about those that anticipated the prophets and the old prophecies that were still there. But for the most part, Israel had lost hope. They were living under foreign occupation and control. There was leadership. There was dominion that was over top of them that they didn't appreciate. And yet here's Anna. And the moment that Simeon, Joseph, and Mary, and Jesus are on the temple mount, the Spirit whispers to her. She goes over and she realizes, this is what I live for. This is the primary motivation of my life. Everything that I have dreamt about is wrapped up in this child. And I love how it says, and she spoke to all who would listen to her, about who Jesus really was. See, friends, it comes back to this. What's the primary motivation in our lives? What is it that we get up? Now, we know there are many different kinds of motivation, right? Parents, when you raise your kids, you can bribe them. You can offer them gifts to behave. That's one form of motivation. Or how many of you were raised in a home where it was a little more of the intimidation? Like, if you don't do what I say, there's different ways to motivate us to do things. Even in life, if you think about our motivation, some of us are motivated by success. Some are motivated by power. Some are motivated by possessions. Some are motivated by maybe I'll get a bonus at the end of the year. And others are even motivated just by family and by relationship. Now, is there anything wrong in any of those things? Not in and of themselves. But when you come back and you look at the story and you understand the simplicity of the Christmas message, our motivation in life isn't about what we can acquire or control. Our motivation in life should be all about the presence of Christ. See, Anna's motivation was the promise of Christ, but our motivation should be the presence of Christ. She was living in anticipation that Jesus was coming and she got to see the fulfillment of that. And when we come into this story and we understand what God has done for us and the grace and the gift that He gives to us, our sole motivation in life should be about the presence of Christ. The way I live, the way I think, the way I steward the resources, everything that I have in my life. It shouldn't be about acquiring more power, about getting a bigger paycheck, about building a bigger home. Everything that I have in life, if I want to be able to end my life and say, you know what, I lived well, the way that you can guarantee that you'll feel great about your life is when your primary motivation is all about the presence of Christ. That you want Christ to be at the core, the very center of your life. In fact, the Scripture is so clear on this. When you begin to realize that those who give their life to Christ, their life is no longer theirs. Did you know that? There were people that wanted to follow Jesus, and their motivation was always distracted, and Jesus would say, You need to come and follow me. You need to leave everything behind and then come and follow me. Why was he doing that? Because he realized something, that if we don't lay our lives down, then the things within our lives will distract us from allowing Christ to be our primary motivation. Now, the New Testament is filled with scriptures. But let me just share. I just want you to listen to some of them. When you begin to understand this, it will change the way you live. Your 2014 is going to be radically different. Listen to what Paul says to the believers. And I'll give you the references if you want to write them down. But in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ, what? Christ lives in me. Now, don't move too quick over that. See, we're good with the words, but not necessarily always the practice. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. That means my primary motivation in life what moves me forward isn't Doug's agenda; it's Christ's agenda. So he said, "So the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and He gave Himself for me." Romans chapter six, verse four says, "We were buried with Him through baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life." Colossians three three says, "For you died, and your your life is now hidden with Christ." See, when we come to God and we receive new life in Jesus Christ, it's not something we add into our life. It's not like I've got my life and I've got my suitcases, I've got all my activities and go, hey, here's Jesus, I'm just gonna like bring him alongside. See, that's a lot of, of uh, the mindset that trips us up. So we add a little bit of Jesus into our lives. You know, well, let's just make some room for Him on the schedule on Sunday or make some room for Him in a little bit of generosity. No, what Paul says, if you really want to understand your primary motivation, you can even find this in the life of Anna, your primary motivation should be the presence of Christ, that it is Christ living in you. That's the hope of glory. That's the way we're to live our lives. Colossians 3, I said it earlier, says says, you, you died, your life is now hidden with Christ. Galatians 6.14 says, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's why Paul tells us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why does he tell us that? Because so often we want what the world presents as the best way to live. So I am motivated, too often, I am tempted to be motivated by the things that motivates the world. But there is a freedom that comes when you lay your life down. There is a freedom when you realize that when Christ says, I want you to give me all of you and allow me to live through you, then no longer will you strive to achieve all the other things that the world has. That's why Paul said, you know, I could boast about all kinds of things. I can tell you about being the best Pharisee. I can tell you about being a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I can tell you about being a keeper of the law. But I don't need to do that anymore. Because my primary motivation is Christ in me. That's it. I've experienced the grace of God. He has transformed my life. And I no longer live. Jesus now lives in me. That's why Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because he understood when you come to Christ... You can lay down all of the striving, all of the achieving, all of the ambitions that so many others are using as their primary motivation in life. And he goes, and you get to enter into this wonderful life in Christ where it's Him living through you. And your agenda completely changes. So here's Anna on that Temple Mount. And she has this beautiful moment where she comes up to Simeon, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And she just pronounces who this child is. She begins to tell everybody about the hope of the redemption of Jerusalem. Her life's primary motivation is that others would know who Jesus is. And that's really what the call of all of us are. That's why when we worship together, and I was just enjoying the presence of worship this morning, when it really begins to sink in, there's a freedom in this to be able to go, I just want Christ to be exalted. I don't want my thinking to get in the way. I want his thoughts to be all that I live for. We'll go back to Anna real quickly. I said there are two things in her life that I want to draw attention to. One was her primary motivation. The other was her core priorities, the activities of her life. So if you go to Luke chapter 2, if your Bibles are still open, I want you to look at verse 37. And I thought it was interesting how Luke records what Anna was busy doing. At 84 years of age, here's what he said, She never left the temple. She worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now some of you are going, okay, there's literary license in that, Doug. Like, seriously, she must have gone home at some point. She couldn't have stayed there all day. And in your mind, you're thinking about what we do here on Sunday, right? As soon as church is over, we usher you out the doors, we lock the doors, we go go home, then come back again. And yet Luke says this lady never left the temple. Well, there's a probability here that, for the most part, could have been in play. Israel was instructed to care for their widows, take good care of their widows. And those that maybe didn't have family, there were times that there were rooms available at in around the temple facilities, the temple precinct. And so it's it's possible, we don't know, but it is possible that Anna may have been staying in one of those rooms, which means she would have been a very familiar sight. So if she was living there, people would regularly see her. So whenever there was a regular worship, times of prayer, times of fasting, people go, oh, there's Anna. Oh, there's Anna. Oh, there's Anna. Hey, here's a question. How many of you know Mama Forrester who attends our church? Quick show of hands. Yeah, lots of us do. So she reminds me of Mama Forrester. Mama Forrester usually sits right over here where John is seated. And on Sunday morning, she's our little dynamo. And whenever this church is open, she's here. She shows up at our small group meetings. She shows up at our prayer meetings. I was reading this in Luke 2, and I thought... Wow, Anna's a lot like Mama Forrester. And, uh, you know, she's got the island. She's from the islands. And she calls me her son and I call her her mom. We don't look like we belong together, but we do. And I'm, I'm proud to call her my mom. But when I read Luke 2, I thought, she reminds me so much of Mama Forrester. Because Anna's priorities, her core priorities, she lives, remember this now, her primary motivation was living, holding on to the promise of Christ. And then her her priorities, her activities of her life were all focused around that. Whenever she could worship, she worshipped. Whenever she could pray, she prayed. Whenever she could participate in the expression of the body together, she was always there. She didn't get distracted. She had every right to get married again. She had every right to pursue all other interests and activities. She made a choice for her. Now, it's not that we're all going to make the same choice, but here's what I would challenge you with. I would say if you really want to live well, make sure your primary motivation is that it's Christ in you that is at the center. And then when it comes to your core priorities, organize your life in such a way that everything you do is Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. Now, for the past four weeks, we've been talking to you about Simple Christmas. And our titles have actually been around four of the priorities that we've challenged you to consider. So let me recap real quickly. The first week... We talked about the whole expression of spend less, which is really the priority of generosity. That when we come to Christ and we realize that if Christ is in me now, my resources are no longer mine. They're His. So how I expend my time, my talent, the gifts, the money, all that I do belong to Christ. So our challenge was, if we're really followers of Christ, then we would allow His priorities to flow through us. So we said, spend less and be generous. Use your resources to allow the impact of Christ to make a difference in our world. We looked back into this. It was Paul who talked about this, and he said, even Jesus said, it is better to give than it is to, uh, what? Receive. Now, I know that's a hard message right on the back end of Christmas, because we all went, hey, where's my gift? But the way we live our lives, it should be prioritized around the reflection of the priorities of Christ. So it's better to spend less and to give more. The second week, Pastor Johnny talked to us about this, and he challenged us to make time, to make time. That, for you that are visiting today, was to allow your life, the priorities of your life, to be organized in such a way that you're listening and watching for the presence of God every day. That we don't simply compartmentalize and say, I'm going to be with God on Sunday, or I'm going to get together with my small group over here, or I just did my devotional time. But we live with this reality that if Christ is in me, then every moment of my day is an opportunity for God to interrupt my schedule and do something spectacular. That if I listen, God will use me. Something that those of you that regularly attend here, you know I do this when I have appointments. I've shared this before. When I'm driving to an appointment... I'm never really sitting there thinking, okay, now what am I going to do? What will I say? How am I going to respond to the situation? When I drive, I'm usually preparing my heart and I'm just praying. And I just go, God, this is going to be your moment. And I have no idea what words it is that you want me to share. But I just want to be available so that whether the direction of what I share is going to make a difference right then and there. May it not come out of my wisdom and out of my background. Nothing wrong with that. But may it come out of the leading of your spirit. Interrupt what I'm about to do so that for your purpose and your glory, you can accomplish your goals today. And that's true for all of us. God just doesn't say, hey, you're a pastor. How about if I do that with you? Did you know that when you're in the marketplace and you're at work, that God can use you to speak to a co-worker if you're available and living with the awareness that God can speak through me in this moment. Now remember... He's not asking you to start off saying, Thus saith the Lord. That's pretty much a deal breaker right there. You understand that. But if you'll allow the Spirit to interrupt your life in a manageable way, He will give you wisdom. The Bible says in James, If you need wisdom, ask of God. He will give wisdom and He'll deposit it into your heart. That means when you begin to speak, you'll suddenly find, and some of you know this to be true, you're speaking words and you go, Whoa, where did that come from? You ever find that? And you're just amazed and you realize hey, that's Christ through me, right there. So our challenge was not only spend less, but make time. Find moments in your life where you allow God to interrupt. That can even happen today. You can go out. Some of you are going to go out for lunch today. and You might have the staff that are going to serve you. And if you'll make time, you might find that one of them that is serving you is waiting for a word of hope or a word of encouragement or a word of cheer. We often forget about the people that serve us But their lives are no different than ours. They go through challenge and disappointment. They go through pain and hurt. And did you know that your word could be the word of Christ that will build them up and lift them up? So today and every day of our lives, if our priorities are, hey, let's spend less and be generous. Let's make time, allow God to interrupt us. Week number three, we talked about the whole area of worship. And we talked about what authentic worship was. Now that was, we had a little bit of weather challenge here, but what we did is a little more of an unplugged service that day. And we talked about worship, that it's not what we do simply when we come together like this. And I love corporate worship. Worship is an expression of my entire life. It's what I do all the time. And so it's the authenticity of my life in every expression. So let worship be something, whether it's my gifts, my service, my career, my calling, my leadership as a husband and my family, whatever it is that I do, whatever it is that you do, it's an expression of worship. Make that a priority that your life would be an expression of worship for Christ. And then the last uh, last week, Pastor Jeff, he talked to us about the whole expression of love. And that for us is the declaration of integrity. That if we really love, if our priority is to love people, then our lives would be lives of such integrity that people would never question our motives. They would see in the unity that Christ is at the center of all that we do. So if we take those priorities and we bring them into our lives, and if we go back and we allow that to become who we are, then I know that by the time we get to the end of 2014, in fact, it'll happen right away if we start doing it, that we will begin to feel that this life that I have been given, when I turn it over to Christ and I allow Christ to be my primary motivation, it's Christ living in me, not me, and all of the core priorities of my life are, are are sort of aligned to honor Him, then I will live a life that others will look at and they'll go, now he knows or she knows how to live well. This came home to me in a very personal way this past week. I told you at the beginning of the message that we had uh, pulled up these videos, and uh, the amazing thing is, is, those of you that have done this, I found tapes of stuff that I didn't know I'd taped. So I found little pieces of of recordings that I'd forgotten all about. One of the recordings, so on Boxing Day, Laura and I, we were sitting downstairs, we were watching some of the recordings, and up came one of the recordings that we made, and it was on the retirement of my father from full-time ministry. And I forgot that we shot the footage. So what had happened is when they were retiring, my dad had to retire a little bit earlier, he was going to have some back surgery. So 46 years of ministry, and all of the family, all the siblings got together and they said, how do you honor a man who has served the Lord in full-time vocational ministry for 46 years? How do we do that appropriately and recognize that and just appreciate so much what he's done? So we all scheduled our lives in such a way that we all flew into Alberta. Those that were living there, they met up with us. So all of the husbands and wives and the grandkids, we all got together and we decided that we would visit the primary churches where dad had ministered in Alberta. And we would go to the ones where they had spent the majority of their time in ministry and just take them on a little bit of a road trip and have some fun together and let them reminisce and share together. So during the day, we'd visit the churches. At night, we'd, we'd get together over a meal. We'd reminisce. And it was terrific because a lot of our the older siblings, I'm one of them, the younger ones didn't know some of the stories. And so we were able to share stories together. It was just fantastic. The way we ended it is we ended up in the town of Empress. You hear me talk about this. Southern Alberta. It's right on the border of Alberta, Saskatchewan. It's down near Medicine Hat, Alberta. In fact, our house, right across the street, literally, you walk across the street, the marker for the border was right there. So our guests, we'd run them over to Saskatchewan, give them a big thrill, and bring them back again. That was what we do for entertainment. So we were going to end in Empress. We thought, that's where what we call the formative part of their ministry probably really took place. It's where five of the seven children were born, and it's where my sister is buried, and so we knew that going back there would be important for Mom and Dad. Well, we didn't know that when we told some of our friends we were going to be there, the church all got together, and they decided they wanted to put on a luncheon to honor Mom and Dad. So we get there on the day, and we're going through the town, and we're reminiscing and talking, and they invite us over to the church, and they hosted this luncheon in the basement of the church. And uh, the townspeople came in, and they began to tell stories of when we were growing up and stories of the ministry that Mom and Dad had done there. And it was just tremendous. Well, here I was, and I had the video camera out, and I'm taping all of this. And because it's been years since I had even looked at those tapes, I forgot I had this tape. So on Boxing Day, I'm watching as my father is captured in this moment... And he is closing out 46 years of vocational ministry and this town where he spent his formative years were saying thank you for living your life well. Thank you for what you invested in here. Real close friends, a young couple that was in the community there, they were farmers, uh, they served in the worship ministry, they led on teams, they were there telling their part of the story and they're still faithful in ministry today. And at the very end of that gathering, The the camera I still had the camera rolling. And my dad stood up to say thank you to the people that were there. And I caught his words as he expressed his gratitude to the people that were there because they helped shape him as much as he helped shape them. You know that happens, right? God uses us together. And so here we were on Boxing Day. And I looked at this and I thought, how many people would have the privilege and the honor of seeing their father on tape saying thank you to a community of people for allowing them to invest 46 years of their lives. And it was in that moment I thought, God, I just want to live well. I want my life to count. I don't want to get distracted by all the other things. Yes, there are people that have great amounts of money. Yes, there are people that have better cars and bigger houses. I don't want that to be the distraction in my life. Whatever blessing God wants to give me, I'm fine with that. All I want is I want what Anna had. I want to know that my primary motivation in life is that it is Christ living through me. And I want the core priorities that Anna lived out in her life, that the things that I do with my life would all bring glory and honor to Christ. So my prayer for you and my wish for you this year in 2014 is that you will live well. And I'll guarantee you, if you'll do what she did, set aside the distractions and transform the way you think, let Christ be front and center and then do all to glorify Him, you will live the most incredible year you've ever experienced. And we're going to take communion in just a moment here. And as we do take communion together, what I want to remind you of is the reason we do this is for the very express purpose of not just remembering what Christ has done for us, but to again declare to Him, my life is no longer my own. I am hidden in you, so may your life live through me. So let's pray together. I'm going to ask the servers that they prepare to come, and then we're going to celebrate communion. So, Father, this morning, it's my prayer that you would just take and seal the very thoughts that come off the pages of Scripture. I believe everybody listening to my voice today truly desires to live well, that their life matters and it counts. But I pray that you would help us to see through the temptation, the distraction, all the things that take us away from understanding the truth of Scripture. And if we get this, if we really, truly get this, it's no longer my life. The moment I invite Jesus into my heart, I willingly lay my life down and say, Christ, live in me. Let your life be expressed through me. Let my words be your words. My thoughts be your thoughts. My actions be your actions. For this is the life we're called to. So I pray for everyone here today. May this week and as we go into 2014, I pray that it would be more than just about broken resolutions or new dreams and anticipations. I pray at the heart of it all, it would be about lifting up Jesus Christ and seeing Him glorified in our lives. And as we gather around this communion table, may you make this real to each and every one of us. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.